today on episode 48 of Podcast Royal, Charles's former right-hand man, Michael Fawcett, is found to have worked to secure honors for a donor to the Princess Foundation. Megan wins again against the Mail on Sunday. William goes on a reflective walk and Kate wows in Ralph Lauren. Plus, we've got the ladies of Royally Obsessed, Roberta and Rachel, here to chat about their new book. Let's get into it. Welcome back to episode 48 of Podcast Royal. How are you, my lovely friend? (laughs) We're doing well again. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It is uh, getting a little colder here in old Birmingham. It's winter is coming. And uh, what are you into this week? I've got to know. <laughs> okay. So uh, this week I am really into that photo of Prince William petting that cute baby goat. Did you see that this past week? No. When did he do that? When did he pet a goat? <laughs> I was just pulling up the, uh, the Cambridge Instagram account again, to remind myself where he was. Um, he was visiting, I guess, some youth charities around the UK. Um, and they put this reel on Instagram of his visit and the cutest little, it's probably not a baby, small fluffy goat walks up and he bends down and pets it. And, you know, I, I love my animals and it was really, really cute. So you should check it out. I'm, I'm totally into that. Love it. By the way, I want to shout you out because you did that orange thing, that orange garland that you talked about on the show a week Uh or two ago, and it looks so good. And you've inspired me to do the same. Yeah. So listeners, if you want, I know I talked about it in another show, but I'll, I'll share some details. If you want to do a really low cost kind of DIY, um, Christmas, I guess, craft um decor and I actually did see some video on uh the royal family Instagram account they were showing around um one of the palaces had the orange in their garland but if you want to do it um go buy some oranges slice them really thin lay them out on a cookie sheet with some parchment paper put them in the oven for two on 200 degrees and just check them my oven took about three hours. It totally depends on your, on your oven. It may take longer than that, but it turned out really good. It was a fun way to, um, do some decor and it made the house smell really good. So I bet it did. God, I inspired you to, to do it. You did. And not much inspires me to craft. So if you've inspired me to craft, then you've really done the Lord's work, let me tell you. So, okay. As for what I'm into this week, I had the opportunity to view a screener of the forthcoming documentary Secrets of Diana's Last Royal Christmas 1991. And I loved it. So Christmas 1991 at Sandringham is a top of mind subject right now because Spencer is set there. This is the true look at what happened that Christmas. And by the way, this is not an ad. I want to clarify, but I highly recommend it. I asked when it would be available and it comes out December 21st on Amazon, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, all the places, but you can actually pre-order it as of right now. Again, this is not an ad. I just liked it. So I learned a lot and it's a good juicy way to spend an hour during what I hope are these slower days around the holidays. We were talking earlier about how we need a slowdown. 
for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like a really great thing to watch during the holiday season. It is. And it really fact checks. It doesn't say that it's fact checking Spencer, but it, it does by virtue of it being Christmas 1991. It kind of fact checks Spencer. Obviously, there's a, a lot of parts of Spencer that are fantasy and fiction. Um, it's inspired by a true story, but it's it's not completely factual and accurate. And this documentary is. And so it's it's actually a really good piece to pair with Spencer and fact check what happened that Christmas because it was a monumental Christmas. So I highly recommend. So let's move into the Royal Rundown. We have a lot to talk about this week and not all of it is good. Some of it is good, but it's not good news for Michael Fawcett or for Charles, really. Fawcett, who resigned as the head of the Princess Foundation last month, has been found to have worked with fixers to try to secure official honors for a donor to the Prince's Foundation. This is according to an inquiry by Ernst and Young, who found Fawcett was in quote unquote communication and coordination with the middlemen between 2014 to 2018. Apparently, the trustees at the foundation did not know of the communications. As the report states, there was quote, no evidence that employees or trustees of the Prince's Foundation were aware of private dinners being sold or arranged in exchange for money. So a spokesperson for Clarence House said, quote, the Prince of Wales is grateful to independent auditors for reviewing procedures at the Prince's Foundation who are today announcing a series of findings. It is important to his Royal Highness that the charities which bear his name operate to the highest standards in accordance with rules established by charity regulators. We are taking this opportunity to reinforce guidance to these charities, particularly in respect of their relationships with supporters. As we move through this difficult chapter, I hope that the stories of note will begin to focus once more on the beneficial outcomes delivered by the Princess Foundation. We look forward with optimism to continuing to deliver our charitable activities. This is huge. Um, this is not good for Charles. So what are your thoughts on these findings? So I kind of want to break this down a little bit for our listeners. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like these headlines and these articles sometimes have all this like la 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 fancy language around all of this stuff. And it's like, what are you really trying to say? You know, right. so I kind of dug into it mostly, I think, for our American listeners who maybe aren't reading a lot of the British um you know, news articles and they're listening to our podcast to get some of that information. Um, so here's kind of what I found digging into this. Um, you know, we keep hearing about official honors and like, what does that really mean? Basically, you know, he was awarded a medal by Prince Charles after he donated, I think it was $2 million to Charles's charities. Um, and he apparently, and, and oh, and, and I should say this is a, a Saudi businessman, I guess that that's kind of like, yeah, I was going to say, we should clarify who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's a Saudi businessman, I guess he's probably very wealthy. Um, and he, I guess, was trying to allegedly, I guess, seeking British citizenship and wanted some recognition, some honorable award. Um, I think the award is the CBE award, which um, stands for Commander of the Order of the British Empire Award. Uh -huh. It's given to uh -huh. people who hold some type of prominent role at a national level or have shown exceptional service to the country or the royal family. So it really, it sounds to me like, you know, 
he's donated to these charities in exchange, or I guess that's what they're alleging. He, he did that in exchange to be um, given citizenship and receive this medal, which Charles has given him. So I guess the theory is Michael Fawcett has been tangled up in all of this. So, you know, sounds like it's a big deal to get this award. Um, it's probably something that people are really honored to receive. And wanted to kind of clear up that backstory in case our listeners were confused by some of the um, acronyms that have been thrown out in some of the news articles. I did a little extra research to kind of, I don't know, improve my understanding around that as well. Yeah. But it yeah. sounds to me like Michael Fawcett has kind of fallen into the trap of, you know, this whole money thing. And it's kind of like, um, you know, politicians shouldn't accept elaborate gifts from lobbyists because it looks like bribery you know businesses kind of follow this sort of ethics rule too where you're not supposed to receive gifts from vendors in exchange for doing business and and that's kind of what I think Michael Fawcett's been caught up in uh so definitely not a good look um I think his his donations were funding some restoration projects that they had going on. Apparently, the businessman has um, denied any wrongdoing. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, not a good look. Um, I think it kind of cheapens the whole medal, you know, when when it it's associated with being given to someone who basically paid for it. Um, and so that's really unfortunate. Um, I feel like hopefully now that this has been brought to light, though, the foundation can bounce back from this, you know, you know, the people who work with the foundation and weren't involved in this just kind of feel really disappointed that this happened. Um, so hopefully they'll be able to get their, their finances and, you know, the way they manage donations in order and, and bounce back from this. But that was kind of my takeaway, just wanting to clarify some of that language yeah. in those articles, because I read one from the BBC and, you know, you had to dig a little bit, a little bit deeper to, to really understand what was going on with this. Yeah. Well, you know, we've said from the beginning that Charles can't really win in this situation, right? He's either ethically corrupt, which he's not because he didn't know about it, or he's not exhibiting great leadership. He's he's not, he's asleep at the wheel. He's not fully attuned to what is going on in his own organization. And my computer just made that little noise again, letting me know that Creative Cloud is ready to update. I don't want to update Creative Cloud. I'm trying to talk about Prince Charles here, um, but it's just not, it's not good. I mean, it's not good again in a moment where Charles will be leading the monarchy um, you know, relatively soon, we'll say it's, it's not, this is, this is not great. And Michael Fawcett isn't just anyone. This is Charles's right-hand man for a great number of years. His probably closest professional confidant or one of them. And so even if Charles knew nothing of this, which that's what this report says, that Charles did not know. And I believe that how, how good of a leader is he? And, and then we complicate the matter even further. Uh, the Sunday Times issued a report that tried to link Harry to the scandal, writing, writing that Sintabale, which is Harry's charity, had received donations in 2013 by the same Saudi businessman after a private meeting with the Duke of Sussex, Harry refuted this saying, quote, it is disappointing that the Sunday Times, knowing all the facts, has chosen to encourage speculation by being deliberately vague to try to create a falsified link between the Duke of Sussex and the CBE scandal 
of which he had no knowledge or involvement. Do you have any additional thoughts on this accusation against Terry? Yeah, so I dug into this a little bit too, and it looks like the same Saudi businessman donated 70,000, I think, to Prince Harry's charity. Um, and I also saw a few articles come out, some headlines uh, about, I guess, Prince Harry may have caused more drama between him and, and Prince Charles over this because, um, so apparently he had, he, he claims he had one meeting with this man and he, you know, I guess made this donation, but then Harry says he didn't get good vibes. And, you know, after that he refused any other donations and decided to distance himself from this man because he, didn't feel like his motives were, were good. Um, and then he says he expressed his concerns over this. So I guess the theory is this has caused a bigger rift because if he expressed his concerns about it at that time, why didn't Charles or Michael Fawcett, um, you know, step in and distance themselves or, or investigate some of his motives. But um, I guess the question comes back, you know, if he expressed his concerns, if Prince Harry did, who did he express them to? Did it, did it ever get back to them? So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot going on. It, it sounds to me like, you know, Harry did try to stay away from any potential wrongdoing um, once he, once he got bad vibes, but I guess there was uh, a misstep in some of the communication there back to Prince Charles team. So, yeah, I, uh, this, this just isn't, it's just not good for Charles. And with, you know, the allegations coming out with Christopher Anderson's book, which if, if listeners, if you want to know what we're talking about, you can listen to, uh, I believe that was the last episode and um, it just, he's not having a very good month. And so um but someone who is having a good week this week, another victory for Megan against the Mail on Sunday, really the ultimate victory as the Duchess of Sussex has triumphed again, winning her appeal and the Court of Appeal in London ruling that the case will not go to trial. Megan can now expect to receive substantial financial damages from the publisher of the Mail on Sunday, as well as a public apology printed on the front page of the Mail on Sunday and on the homepage of Mail Online. Megan, for her part, released a statement after the ruling, which said in part, quote, this is a victory, not just for me, but for anyone who has ever felt scared to stand up for what's right. While this win is precedent setting, what matters most is that we are now collectively brave enough to reshape a tabloid industry that conditions people to be cruel and profits from the lies and pain that they create, end quote. So I've actually done my due diligence since the last time we talked about this and I was kind of bumbling around all over the place and um you explained it really well on the show so listeners can listen to that episode for for more context but this case I with the letter to her father Thomas Markle I believe is finished forever so what are your thoughts on what seems to be the final nail in the coffin for the case yeah well I don't know about everybody else but I'm really quite exhausted by this whole case. And I'm, I'm really glad it's over. Um, you know, I still think there was some questionable activities on both sides here. Um, it does seem to me like she wrote the letter expecting it to be read, which makes me question how genuine it really was. It listeners might remember, she said, you know, even though Thomas Markle wasn't really fatherly toward her, she chose to refer to him as daddy, um, to pull at people's heartstrings in the unfortunate event that it would be leaked. Um, 
You know, but I think the overall point of this ruling is that the letter was published without her explicit consent. And I suppose that's considered a violation of privacy according to UK law. So, I mean, it sounds like the correct ruling, um, but I, I don't think she was totally innocent in the whole thing either. I think um, there was probably um, some, some writing of that letter expecting it to be leaked. What did you think? Well, I think she's dancing really close on the line between being manipulative and just being savvy. And, you know, and, and you, for example, the daddy example, you know, is that like some people would say, okay, that's manipulative. Some people would say, okay, well, she's just being smart about it. And she knows who her father is and knows that he's going to probably leak this. And so I don't know. I mean, it's I personally I'm just tired of talking about this case I'm tired of talking about royals and court cases um are, did you say I'll be interested to see what the front page apology looks like oh my gosh I know right and I mean that's the I, I will be very interested to see that and uh it's like let's hammer it home like not only did she win and she's getting a financial settlement, but let's put it on the front page and on the website. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Sucker punch. So um, <laughs> anyway, anything else on this case? She won. That's great. We're moving on to uh, <laughs> to our next royal court case, which will be probably much less fun to talk about than that even. So to honor World AIDS Day on December 1st, Harry wrote a letter and narrated a film to bring awareness to HIV and AIDS. Harry wrote in part, quote, we honor the, those whose lives have been cut short and reaffirm our commitment to a scientific community that has worked tirelessly against this disease. My mother would be deeply grateful for everything you stand for and have accomplished. We all share that gratitude, so thank you. Diana, of course, was a champion of the fight against HIV and AIDS as well. And also on December 1st, William and Harry, I think this is so cool, met with recipients of the Diana Awards Legacy Award. William met with them in person at Kensington Palace, Harry virtually via Zoom. The Legacy Award is the most prestigious accolade from the Diana Award, and it recognizes social action and humanitarian work and is only handed out every two years. So get this, this year's winners will be given their Diana Awards by Diana's brother, Charles, at Althorpe on December 9th, which is this Thursday. Althorpe, of course, is the Spencer ancestral home. That is, that is amazing to me. They also have access to a two-year development program, which provides them with skill building and leadership, technology, community development, and social entrepreneurship. How cool is that? Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, if I think the article I saw said um, there are 10 British recipients and then 10 global recipients. Is that correct? That um, sounds right. I think it mentioned like places like Taiwan, Indonesia, Germany, and even the U.S. I saw on a list. So uh, pretty cool. I just think that's amazing that they're going to be able to go out to Althorpe, which is, you know, really been pretty protected. I mean, you can you can go out there and there's um, that's where Diana is is buried and you can go out there, but you can't like ever go all the way out to her grave. But I mean, that's just so special to be able to be there with her brother and I mean, just how, like, how incredible is that? I just think that's awesome. So congratulations to all of the award winners. 
Kate stepped out last week at an exhibit I'd like to see personally at the V&A Museum. It's an exhibition of Fabergé eggs. The exhibition is called Fabergé in London, Romance to Revolution, and features the largest collection of Fabergé's imperial Easter eggs to go on display in decades. Among the exhibition were three eggs from Queen Elizabeth's collection, the colonnade egg, the basket of flowers egg, and the mosaic egg. But I also want to talk about Kate's outfit and her ponytail. I absolutely loved this Ralph Lauren top and the way Kate styled it. So, okay, I went on Ralph Lauren after and they don't make my size. So please make my size Ralph Lauren. First of all, um, they only go up to an XL and I probably would do for a double XL in that top. Um, and so, and, and the way, so the way, it the way Kate styled it was great. Um, she had it tucked in and the pony, just the ponytail, the whole look I loved. So what did you think? Okay. So first of all, I don't know why I am so intrigued by Fabergé eggs. <laughs> I know. It's okay. Like forget the Ralph Lauren top, but the, ex the exhibition was super cool too. Yeah. So they are so interesting to me and it's so almost funny how like expensive, like, you know, how much, I don't know, like value of these eggs and I don't know do you know a lot about the history of the Fabergé eggs I really don't I just think they're beautiful yeah so I, I was thinking the same thing so I did a little bit of digging on this too um you know because I'm thinking like why are they shaped like an egg like what's the history behind this well where do they come from so listeners if you were wondering the same thing let me tell you what I found so the first Fabergé egg came from Russia more than 100 years ago. Tsar Alexander III commissioned a man by the name of Peter Carl Fabergé to create this fancy egg with jewels on it for his wife as an Easter gift. So that's why it's an egg, because it was a gift at Easter. Okay. Um, it was Ooh. only going to be a one-time gift, but they actually loved it. So much that this tradition continued every year after that. And so I think in total, there were originally 50 Fabergé eggs created for the family. I think uh, the czar's son kind of carried on this tradition and had them had one made every year. So um, I guess what I read on this article is that today there are 43 of the 50 original uh, accounted for for the for the family um, in Russia. So I don't know, I don't know where the missing seven eggs are. Um, apparently, when the Bolsheviks invaded St. Petersburg, they took these eggs. And so I don't know if some got lost during that, but that's just a little side um, research I did on Fabergé eggs when okay, I was- I mean, I think they're beautiful, but I don't really know anything about them. And I definitely didn't know they were, and this makes sense, inspired by Easter. Yeah. And if I got any of that story wrong, listeners, let me know. I, I did a little research and found that online and I thought it was really cool. So um, if we have any Fabergé egg experts, please <laughs> weigh in and let us know some of your knowledge. Um, now on to Kate's fashion. So I have to admit, I was not a fan of this look. Um, really? Yeah. Like my first this thought, you know, when I saw the photo of her, I just felt like the outfit looked super outdated to me. I, I didn't find it really exciting, but I will say, you know, I am, I'm a really big lover of 
you know, her more feminine styles. I love the dresses and the skirts for, for her engagements. And so I don't typically, every now and then I'll appreciate, you know, the dress pants with the blouse, but I tend to be more into the dresses and skirts. Um, I don't know. I just felt like I really like it when people can take a look from, you know, a past decade and wear it with kind of a modern twist to it. But this to me just felt more outdated without any kind of like modern twist. So I don't know. It was not my favorite outfit by her. What did you think of the ponytail? The ponytail is fine. Um, you know, I liked that, but, um, but just the overall, the blouse and the pants weren't my favorite. Well, isn't that a shame that the one that likes it can't even get it. And the (laughs) one (laughs) travesty, I'm telling you, um, make, make a little bit bigger sizes, Ralph Lauren, please. Uh, so that I can buy this top, but like, I don't, okay. Let me say one more thing. I didn't like the top when I went to the website and looked for it. Um, as much as I liked the way Kate styled it, I liked the way she tucked it in. I like the pants. I just like the whole look. So mm-hmm. anyway, we're grasping at straws over here. Now I'm going down rabbit holes, get it rabbit holes, Easter eggs. Oh, <laughs> connecting everything um so william participated in a really cool series from apple fitness plus their time to walk series where he encouraged folks to take time out and walk for their mental health over the holidays many leaders by the way are known to walk during meetings or alone saying that's where they get their best inspiration the queen included so each episode of time to walk includes lessons learned memories and other thought-provoking topics recorded while walking in locations meaningful to them. William chose to walk on the Sandringham estate going from Sandringham house past St. Mary Magdalene church and ending at Anmer hall, which is of course he and wife Kate's country home. The Duke of Cambridge wrote on Instagram quote, walking has been a feature of my life during the good times and the bad come rain or shine. For me, it provides an opportunity to clear my mind and gain some perspective. It's a key part of how I manage my mental health. It can be a very sociable exercise or a moment of complete calm and isolation. So I suggest we join with William and take a walk over the holidays or maybe several for our mental and physical health. What do you say? Yeah, I agree. You know, I am not a runner at all. I've never been a runner, but I really love walking. And I think getting steps in is so important. It it is great for your overall mental and physical health. And you don't have to run to be healthy. Simply moving and, you know, walking every day. It's just a great way to stay active. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do, you know, I agree with with William, Um, you know, just getting outside. it, It makes you feel inspired. Um, and we all need a little more vitamin D from the sun anyway. So I think this is really do. Well, and you know, I was in a relationship most of this year and I gained quite a bit of happy weight, hence why I can't fit into the Ralph Lauren top right now. And so I am on a, I'm beginning a, a health kick right now that really just is eating better, being more conscious about calories. And, um, and I really am trying to take a little walk every day at the office. It, it wakes me up, it perks me up. And so, and it also makes me like, it just makes me feel good mentally and physically. So I, I'm not a runner either. I did like one 5k and that was probably honestly enough for me, but walking is, is, is a great way to clear my mind. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of walking this, this, uh, holiday season and beyond. So speaking of mental health, Harry has released a progress report 
of his work at chief as chief impact officer for Better Up. He co-wrote a blog with Better Up co-founders Alexi Robichaux and Eduardo Medina, in which he laid out his goals as CIO, writing, quote, social impact is not some buzzword, secondary goal, or silo at the edges of our business. It's intrinsic to the work we do here at Better Up. Our success as an organization is deeply dependent on the positive social change we can make in this world, end quote. So true to his mission to continually support members of the military, Harry said that both active duty members of the military and veterans are among the core groups BetterUp seeks to help and employ as BetterUp grows in size. He wrote, quote, now more than ever, we need to not only better support our military community, but also learn from them about what it means to prepare for the unknown, take care of one another, and build deep connections with people from backgrounds that are different from our own. Our commitment to this group goes well beyond purely financial means. BetterUp is committed to expanding recruitment in the veteran community so these individuals can become the future of our company as well as creating new programs so veterans in our workforce can fully contribute their wealth and diversity of skills and experiences. Any of us would be lucky to have them. He also mentioned a partnership with the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, where 1,000 young leaders across the Commonwealth gain tools for resilience and mental fitness that will be with them for life and will help to accelerate their impact on the world. Now, Robichaux and Medina had earlier shared that BetterUp provided these young leaders around the world free access to the app so that they are better prepared for the pressures of becoming an entrepreneur and so that their creative ideas can become reality. Harry continued that BetterUp's ambition is nothing short of improving the human condition. We envision a world where everyone has access to the support and care they need to thrive personally and professionally. So whew, I'm just exhausted reading that. That's a, that's a lot that he's got going on with BetterUp. So I'm actually glad to see a snapshot of the work he's doing there. What, what did you think? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've we've talked about him having this role in, in the past on the podcast, and I don't know if we've really talked about what Better Up is. Um, so um, I'm just really full of research today, Rachel. Um, I'm, I love it. I can't get enough. <laughs> love it. So I um, checked out their website, clicked around. Um, you know, overall, it looks like they you know, they partner with companies to provide coaching to, um, you know, employees in order to promote a culture of health and happiness. And I guess this is based on their assumption that your overall business will perform better if your teammates are thriving. So they've got uh, programs around things like diversity and inclusion, sales performance, leadership coaching, team engagement, uh, mental fitness, and organizational health. So I would really like to hear more about some of their strategies and programs they're putting in place to really attract veterans to their team. Um, I'd also like to hear more about, you know, how they're supporting the military and their mission. So, um, you know, interesting, um, interesting company and, and, you know, what they're doing. Um, But yeah, maybe we'll get more from hearing in the future. I'll be honest with you, chief impact officer just sounds like a figurehead title, right? It just sounds like, oh, they've got Harry here and, you know, they're, you know, they're just paying him to talk about better up sometimes. But I mean, it's, it's nice to see the, I mean, this is a lot of work that he's doing. And so um, I'm, I'm glad that they did this. And I think a lot of people are calling from staff, calling for status reports from different facets of Archwell, like, you know, like the Netflix deal, the Spotify deal, all the different projects they have going on. Apparently they hear these calls and are responding to them. So that's good. 
I like sure. it. Good, good research. Research <laughs> queen. Um, so we don't have any Royals around the world news this week, which is um, the silence is deafening from like Monaco, honestly. And um, so that's, that's really that for the Royal rundown. I mean, well, I say that really that like there's nothing you got something. I, I do have a little news from around the world um, that I'll share with, with our listeners. And I haven't shared this with Rachel yet because I wanted it to be a surprise. But um, we got our, I guess, 2021 recap from Spotify recently. Ooh, so um, I've got some, some fun, you know, reports from the pod to share with our listeners. And these are just a few highlights from the year. And, and this is from Spotify. So I don't think it includes like Apple or other listening platforms, but I thought they were kind of fun. So I'll share a few. In 2021, we had a lot of first time streamers um, and we actually had 23 new countries uh, represented. Uh, 23? Yeah. So we've got listeners that, and we, we obviously have some listeners that started listening to us from other countries in 2020, but in 2021, we added 23 new countries to our listener group. Um, and out of those 23, the countries who loved our podcast the most were in Spain, the Philippines, the Netherlands, Sweden, and Belgium. So oh. The U.S. is, of course, still our biggest audience, um, but these are our newly added listeners this year. So that was really fun. Shout out to everyone in those countries listening to um, Podcast Royal. And then um, another fun fact, our most popular time of day for our listeners to listen to our podcast is right in the middle of their day. So between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m., that's when 33% of our audience um, listens to our show. That is so um, and then. Yeah, so we've got one more. Uh, we released 1,936 minutes of content so far in 2021. Um, and then we also had um, several people who listened to our show on their birthdays this past year. So thank you so much wow. to those of you who spend your birthday with us. We really appreciate it and happy belated birthday. That's a lot of minutes of listening to us talk. God, God bless all of you. Wow. Um, that is so cool. That, that makes me really 23 countries. My gosh, you know, when we started this, we were just out of your walk-in closet and <laughs> here in Birmingham, Alabama, and you just have no idea where you will touch. So listeners keep, keep listening. We love you so much. And I mean, my gosh, if we know anything, 2022 is set up to be a roller coaster of a year so we're gonna hang on for dear life on that one that's so cool um i wish apple did a report like that yeah i know that would be fun too to look at that that's really that's really really neat um anything else before we introduce our fantastic guests this week no i don't think so i'm excited to talk to our guest and i think our listeners are really going to enjoy this well, I have a feeling a lot of our listeners will know these lovely ladies. For segment two, we've got Royally Obsessed on the program. How, what an honor this is. We are, we're thrilled to chat with Rachel Bowie. I always, okay, this is so funny. <laughs> when I, I don't even know if I've told you this, Jessica. When I met Rachel Bowie, and I always, why I always struggle pronouncing her name is because I dated a guy whose last name was spelled the same, B-O-W-I-E but it was pronounced buoy. And at one point in time, we were serious. And had I gotten married to him, I would have also been 
Rachel Bowie, but she's she spells it the exact same way, but it would have been pronounced differently. <laughs> so I always want to say Rachel Bowie, but it's Rachel Bowie. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We are thrilled to chat with Rachel Bowie and Roberta Fiorito from Royally Obsessed, who have written a new royal trivia book that is the perfect gift for yourself or any other royal follower you know. Take a listen to our conversation. If you're a fan of Royal Podcasts, which we, of course, assume you are, if you're listening to Podcast Royal, then you surely know the OGs of Royal Podcasting, Rachel <laughs> Bowie and Roberta Fiorito. Did I say that right, Roberta? Roberta? Yes, that's perfect. Perfect. Beautiful name. The, oh, the one, the only royally obsessed co-host. We both love the show and it's an honor to have you both here today. I have to say, I've worked with you both personally on pieces I've written for various magazines, and you both are just as lovely off air as you are on air. So seriously, I mean that very sincerely. So Rachel and Roberta have written the perfect holiday gift for any Royal fan in your life or for yourselves, listeners, a new book called Royal Trivia, your guide to the modern British Royal family, which comes out December 21st and is available now on pre-order. This, I think, is the dynamic royal foursome right here, if I do so <laughs> myself. American girls represent. Welcome to the show, ladies. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having us on, guys. This is such, so much fun. Yeah, this such a treat. And we love following your podcast and your writing, too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That means so much to us. We, we, we're just, we're sister podcasts, and it's so great to have you on. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. We have been looking forward to this. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. We have a few questions for you guys. Um, first, um, I would really love to hear your royal origin stories for our listeners who may not have heard it on Royally Obsessed. Can you tell us how each of you became royal lovers? Yeah, I mean, I can jump right in. So I actually, um, I think my obsession with the royals really started at a young age. So I lived in Scotland when I was seven years old for a year. My parents took sabbatical and moved over there. And so I got to experience kind of the castles and palaces and lochs and glens (laughs) over there first person, which was such a treat at that age to knowing like fairy tales and stuff. So I was really hooked in at that point, but I think honestly, the trajectory of Meghan Markle was what sealed the deal for me. I mean, I was covering the Royals at that time and, uh, for pure wow and the new section of pure wow. And so I was just so drawn into an American marrying into the Royal family and the fairy tale. And then the dissolution of that fairy tale that kind of occurred afterward. That's my story. What about you, Rachel? Yeah, I, for me, I feel like it was very early age. I think I just always was so interested in princess Diana. I actually was home recently and I realized what a treasure trove of books I have about her, but a lot of them were purchased before she passed away. I think I was following her from such a young age. My mom, I dedicate her this book to my mom, uh, partially. And, you know, she gave me a set of princess Diana paper dolls, which fun fact are on the warm and wonderful website. Now, if you guys want to set them, take a peek at what those paper dolls look like, they are $350. 
which is kind of funny because I, my version, which I still have are hacked to shreds because I did legit (laughs) cut them out and use them as paper dolls, but really as they were meant to be used. Yes. As they were meant to be used, but I, but I really just was always, um, you know, following her, going to see her dresses, that kind of a thing. But then, yeah, when she passed away in 1997, I feel like my interest only grew, especially, you know, I was always interested in Prince William and Prince Harry. And, uh, it was just a very pivotal moment to be honest in my life. When she passed away, I was pretty young. And I think it was the first time I really experienced that kind of death of a public figure. And it was kind of life-changing, I think, for everyone that's a royal fan. Yeah, well, you felt like you knew her. I mean, I felt the same way. I was 10, nearly 11, and it felt like I lost a friend. And I'm sure you felt that way as well. Yeah, I think it was just, yeah, we knew we, you know, she was so much a part of uh, the public sphere. And and yeah, and then I think just to be able to, you know, I always wanted to work in magazines and print was my original uh, passion. And then, you know, I found my way into the web world and Roberta and I started at Pure Wow within a few, I want to say like a month of each other. I think weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Weeks. And we sat across from each other. And if, if a little birdie had told me then like that, this would be the future (laughs) of our lives. Like, I just think I'm very grateful to get to work with her on this podcast and throughout and on this book. How cool. We know the power of a co-host too. I could never do this without Jessica. So I know how much the two of you mean to each other. So I told you offline, I'll say it again. The book is so good, ladies. One of those ideas I wish I would have thought of, it definitely fills a gap in the very saturated royal book market. It's so good and so unique. So how did you you come up with the setup for the book, an idea to write a royal trivia book? Well, so we were actually approached by Ulysses Press, the publisher. They knew that it was going to be a big royal year with Spencer. The crown was, you know, isn't back this year, but there was a lot of buzz around the crown. And they got in touch with us to see if it was something we might be interested in. They were aware of us through Royally Obsessed. But then we really had the full control, full reins of the project. And it was, you know, it was fun brainstorming with Roberta how we wanted to tell the story because there's obviously, you know, only a certain number of pages in the book and a lot of territory to cover. And I think it was fun to settle on the idea of looking at sort of the major headlines, using the crown as a bit of a cheat sheet of what people were always buzzing about in these royal family members history, but then really digging in a little bit deeper and unpacking the context behind all of that. Robert, I don't know what you would add to that. Yeah. I mean, and as you two both know as well, like there is such a a trove of royal biographies out there. And so trivia felt like a unique way to approach the royals that was both digestible and bite-sized, but also as you've seen, you know, we give a lot of context with our answers and they're a bit longer than you would expect trivia answers to be, which we really wanted to do because we feel it's so important to kind of give a big picture story when, when answering each question. And so I think that that was the kind of unique way to approach it for us. Love it. Such a fun, um, fun way to approach a book. So we listen to your podcasts. And of course, we know that you guys know so much about the British royal family. When you were writing this book, what was the most surprising fact that each of you learned? Oh, gosh, the most surprising is really hard because I feel like there (laughs) were so, so many. Um, You know, one of the things I loved and, you know, we do obviously all four of us know a lot about the royals. But I think when Rachel and I took on this podcast in April of 2020. This was an amazing, this writing this book was an amazing way to really refresh ourselves on the background of a lot of the Royals. And so it was a learning process for us as well. Like I won't kid myself that I knew everything in this book beforehand, (laughs) Definitely Um, not. 
no. So it was just, it was something where we kind of got, we got a really nice crash course in everything too, which helped with the podcast. And so it was kind of this nice symbiosis, but Um, one of the things I loved learning about was the queen and her formative years. Um, one of the trivia questions asks about her younger years before, you know, we knew that her, her dad would one day be King and that, uh, her uncle would step down and abdicate. And so one of the things was that she lived in a palace with a number and no name which is like a royal mystery. What is that? Well, it was called 145 Piccadilly and it's the place where they grew up and it was very much low security, which is just so crazy to imagine now. But I think, you know, there was even a doorbell right next to the door that said there was a button for visitors and there was a button for the home. And so it was like, it just, it feels, it feels really interesting to kind of peek back into her history and learn a little bit more about the queen, her majesty, the queen. What about you, yeah. Rachel? I mean, I think for us too, you know, we really dug into, obviously we organized the book by the Cambridges, the Sussexes, Princess Diana, Prince Charles, and then the queen. And we know we're very familiar because I think that it's been our experience, the Sussexes and the Cambridges, we've lived through a lot of that, but I think also digging back into the life of Prince Charles a little bit, you know, I think it was fascinating to really learn what a role the queen mother played in his life in terms of exposing him to the arts and giving him loads and loads of hugs and sort of nurturing him in a way that was very contrasting to his parents growing up and how that was a pivotal part of his childhood. I think, I think those kinds of nuggets were just really things that, um, we don't talk about as much anymore. And, you know, digging into the past of Charles and the queen in particular, I I was less familiar. So that was really exciting and interesting. Yeah, I was that you perfect segue into my next question. So you you just mentioned how the book is divided up into the Cambridges, the Sussexes, Charles, Diana and the Queen. And so was there a royal family member, an individual, you kind of already answered this, Rachel, was there a royal family member in particular that you learned the most about from writing the book? Oh, gosh, I, I mean, I think we had the most fun writing about Diana. I mean, the the resurgence of Diana this year in particular has felt so strong in pop culture. You know, Rachel was in the CNN series about Diana. There was also Spencer, you know, her Emma Corrin on the crown. There's the warm and wonderful, the sheep sweaters. So it's, it's really been fun to kind of look back at her life in a way that feels still so modern and so relevant to today. Um, so that was my favorite person. What about you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it really was having a chance to, for me, it was fascinating to spend more time on Prince Charles. We know a lot of the current headlines, obviously, and it's, they're not good, but I feel like going back in time (laughs) and, and seeing, and they're not necessarily good back then, but I think really seeing how his life has unfolded over, you know, 70, is he almost 75, 74 now? Um, I think a little bit older than that, but he, um, but, you know, just kind of digging into that. And then also, I think what was really fun is also to revisit some of the coverage back then. Like we really were given access through our publisher to a lot of newspaper subscriptions, newspaper archives, so we could do extensive research. And I think just being able to read those original first person accounts of the wedding um, of Prince Charles and Princess Diana and the New York times and how people covered it. And also like print reporting. I think it's very exciting how, you know, sort of the language that is used, it's very uh, captivating and very, what's the right word, Roberta? Like it's just like flowery. Yeah, yeah. Flowery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that that was kind of fun to just ex- re- revisit experience for the first time and see those different accounts. 
Well, I am really excited about this question. So <laughs> can you tell us about your new cocktail party conversation tidbit from the book? Ooh, I, well, I don't know about one particular conversation, but I do know that my mom is so excited to bring this book to her book club and quiz all her friends about How it. That? <laughs> so my that's what's book casually. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's going to be so funny to hear them like try to answer it and, you know, get really into it. But I think that's, what's really fun about the format too, is that it can be a game in a way. Like you can, you can either sit down and read it cover to cover, like you would a novel or a biography, but you can also quiz your friends and then give the full context behind the answer. See who gets it right. So that's really fun. But I do think, you know, one of the things we mentioned in the introduction is Princess Diana and the wedding nerves she had on her big day and how, you know, that resulted in perfume being spilled down her, um, Emmanuel wedding dress. So there was also, she flubbed the order of Charles's name and they didn't seal. I do with a kiss. And so it kind of set the tradition of kissing on the balcony after the Royal wedding, which has been carried on through their sons, through Diana's sons. So, um, that, that was really fun to me. I think that's a fun one to pull out that's a cocktail a party. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that it's also just one of those things where it's really fun. Like whenever the topic of the Royals comes up, I think that there's all these casual followers that you're like, oh, you didn't realize the people that you're hanging out with are that interested in it. And so I think that the book is really designed to be like, you can get the quick answer to the trivia question, but then we really try to go in depth within a certain word count, you know, of course, (laughs) but just on these topics that are very headline making. And we try to set the record straight on some of them. I love it. I mean, there's there's a million back pocket topics that you could take to a cocktail <laughs> about the Royals because you both host uh Royal Obsessed. And so if someone said, well, what, tell me something about the Royals. Boom. You now have like <laughs> hundreds of cocktail party topics. Well, do you opening- ever- oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Rita. No, I was just going to say, do you guys ever feel like when the Royals comes up at a cocktail party? I know we're, we're pretty, you know, the COVID has ruined, taken cocktail parties to the back burner slightly, but I feel like it's, you know, even last week I was out to dinner with friends and I feel like the Royals came up and then it's just this runaway train. And I'm like, and I end up being like, just, just one more thing I want to say. And then I feel like my <laughs> friends are kind of like, oh, okay, let's actually change the topic at a certain I, point, I, but I, I, there's so I, much to talk about. My friends know that if they want to bring up the Royals, they better be prepared to bring up Royals. Like we can't just gloss over this and thank God for Jessica. Cause you know, Jessica is one of my dearest friends in real life. So if I really want to go there about the Royals, we get, we go out to dinner and That's so great. She's so, she gets me She gets so me when you're in a group of people and the Royals comes up, but it's like in the context of, they don't really know much about them. And they're trying to remember someone's name. And you're just sitting there thinking like, I know so much about this. Like, you're on the edge really of your seat. That box. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is like, it's like opening a, a can of worms. Yeah, it totally yeah. is. It's like this whole spiraling thing, but it that's what makes it so fun. I think too, because especially for, and we really tried to like walk that fine line with this book. Like if you're just a casual watcher and you don't know, like exactly the date of whatever, like big major Royal wedding, or you do know every little detail about them, you can still find pleasure. I guess that's the word word. And feel validated by your knowledge. You can feel like, Oh, I got it right. (laughs) I learned so much from this book. I mean, there's always like, there's the Royals are so multi-layered and multifaceted. You, you can be a Royal commentator like I am and and still not know everything. And this book was like, I, I learned a lot in this book. Good. That's so wonderful for us to hear. Great read. So 
we are getting ready to wrap up 2021 unbelievably. So you both know just as well as we do, as you cover the British Royal family week to week as well, that it has been a wild year for our friends, the Windsor. So <laughs> what has been the most interesting Royal moment of 2021 in your opinion? Oh gosh, I'm going to jump right in. To choose from. Yeah. There are a lot to choose from. There are a lot. I think, you know, what's so so wild to me is that Oprah was this year so the Oprah interview I mean that was so explosive and so groundbreaking and a chance for Megan and Harry to really tell their side of the story and I recognize too that it's their side of the story and I mean it's totally valid for them to share it but I think that that was just like I mean the world watched that so that was that was the biggest moment of this year for me what about you? Gosh, I am really like scanning my brain right now. And uh, and like weirdly the one that jumps out that is the polar opposite of Oprah and really on more, a little bit more superficial is Kate in the James Bond, at the James Bond premiere in that gold mm. dress, the Jenny Packham. I feel like that was also just like a glittering moment of 2021 for me. And just, I think that in a lot of, le- on a lot of levels, just the return of a red carpet, a Royal red carpet, because we have been denied that, uh, for so long. That was just a really exciting followed up by the green carpet with earth shot. There were so many things that happened this year that were, oh my. you know, momentous, but well, those are not on the same scale, Oprah and <laughs> very different. <laughs> those are well, very but, different things. The highs and the lows are what happened. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the Cambridge, I mean, the Cambridge's 10 year anniversary was this year and we got wow. that very influencery video of them. That was incredible. And all those pictures. So Gosh, see, we can't narrow it down to save our lives. There's so many moments. It's a big year. Yeah. Well, going off of that, we have to know this. What are you guys most excited for with the Royals in 2022? Oh, I think... I'm very curious about Earthshot being held in the U.S., the the follow-up to, you know, I think that that's, we don't have much information about that, but speaking of Earthshot, I think that the fact that it will take place here is a very, uh, something to look forward to. I have a lot of questions about where it will be held, you know, and I think that that's something that's on my radar for 2021. No doubt. This is probably a little cliche, but I think the Platinum Jubilee. Yeah, why didn't I say the Platinum Jubilee? (laughs) Incredible. I mean, no, I think that Earthshot is going to be- Really, really interesting if it is held in the US. But yeah, Platinum Jubilee. I mean, Rachel and I are really trying to get over there at some point, barring COVID, hopefully uh, to London next year. So, I mean, that would be amazing to go sometime near then. The schedule sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's such a monumental occasion for the Queen. And so I think that that'll be a really uh, exciting year for Royal Watchers. And can I just say they have so many amazing exhibitions coming next summer? Mm. Like the, uh, I just, I, all of her, like her coronation gown and her uh, Jubilee outfits from years past. And we're all forgetting to mention Harry's book is coming out next year. Yes. Gosh. Yeah. Huge year. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing Royal books coming out. There's Harry's book, but there's a Eloise Moran's book from Lady Di Revenge Looks, Tina Brown, Beth and Holt has another book coming about the queen. There's just a lot of Royal reading to look forward to as well. I didn't know Prince Harry topping the list. Yeah. I didn't know Beth had another book coming out. I loved her book about Kate uh, from last year or they, all my years get confused these days, but I know it was the end of last year, but yeah, this one will be focused on the queen. I believe. Is that right? Rachel? Yeah. So. Love it. Love it. Okay. So 
I want to play a game. I'm in the royal trivia yes. spirit. Because I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. So since it is almost Christmas and the royals have such firmly rooted Christmas traditions, I thought we could play some royal trivia about royal Christmas at Sandringham. What do you say? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. And by the way, I'm the only one with the answers here. Jessica has not seen these. So the, is Jessica going to play too? I hope Jessica plays. Yeah. Playing. Absolutely. I sort of wish I was like more festive. Like I had a, hot, a cup of hot cocoa and like some Christmas music on. This is so I fun. just want to say that you have the books. So you have uh, copies of Royal Trivia arranged so adorably behind you. I, <laughs> I have to point that out because our listeners will never see this, but it's so cute the way you have oh. the books. Please put that on Instagram or something. <laughs> we'll take a picture after this. We'll yeah. take a little yeah. screenshot yeah. after. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Wait, Rachel, tell us the rules. What are the rules of the this game? How do we play? Um, that's, yeah, I should have probably thought that out a little bit more. I guess. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm putting you on the spot. It, when you know it, say it. And then okay, perfect. That's you. all I need. I will let everyone lock in with an answer, and um, then I will tell you the correct answer. How about that? That it's like good. who wants to be not a millionaire a yes. lock in. i am not the royal trivia expert that's the two of you so here we go <laughs> number number one we all know that christmas is generally spent at sandringham save for 2020 and probably 2021 too if i'm honest we don't know just yet but sandringham isn't always where christmas was spent starting in the 1960s christmas was typically spent somewhere else but in 1988 this place was being rewired so the location was switch to Sandringham where was Christmas celebrated prior to 1988 Windsor that is correct ding, no, ding, ding. I didn't give any everybody else a chance to win actually I just thought <sighs> okay this, now it's come full circle because now it's back at Windsor so but yeah yes, prior to so from 88 to 20 to 2019 Christmas was at Sandringham but prior to 88 it was at Windsor and now it's come full circle we don't know where Christmas will be this year but um, I'm betting it's probably going to be a Windsor. We'll see what happens. It sounded, I thought there were some reports that sounded like Sandringham. I think That's the queen was getting ready to prep the, yeah, yeah like that she went for that visit. I mean, who knows yeah. if those were just rumors, but I agree. I've heard Sandringham. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah so it'll be it. interesting. Back to tradition. I love it. Okay. Number two, prior to their brotherly rift, what sport did William and Harry play at Sandringham on Christmas Eve afternoon? Ooh, oh my God. I almost knocked over my mic getting so enthusiastic. <laughs> um, pheasant shooting. Okay. Anybody else have a guess? <laughs> oh, is that wrong? <laughs> F- football? So- not soccer, but fo- American football. Oh no, not American football. Oh, soccer. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously what you meant. Yes. I was thinking football. of a video of um, a clip from that interview with Jonathan Dimbleby that Dimbleby that had Harry playing I thought it was American football that's what sprung to mind but it is soccer is what I actually it is soccer or football to our British friends so football or soccer so bonus addition to the question this is I'm not asking I'm just telling you Williams team were Aston Villa Sox which is of course his favorite team and Harry's team were Arsenal Sox oh for the simpler days of Christmas Eve (laughs) Right. Oh, wait, am I thinking of Boxing Day? I think I'm thinking, of, thinking the of Boxing, boxing day. day shoot. Boxing yeah. Day. Yes. <laughs> happens on boxing day. This is Christmas Eve. This is Christmas Okay. Eve. Sorry. I'm here now. <laughs> have a point for that. I'm not really keeping score, but half a point. definitely <laughs> half a point. Hard earned. Okay. Number three, the family hilariously gives each other gag gifts when they open presents on Christmas Eve. What game do they play on Christmas Eve as a family? Is it Ibble Dibble? 
<laughs> from the crowd. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I want them to play that. That was intense. Oh, wait, I bet it's a, Thatcher. I bet it's, do you know, Rachel? No. I bet it's, a, um, oh my God. Why can't I think of the word? Like a card game. It's some kind of card game, right? Uh, no, it's not a card game. It's, a, it's, <laughs> just, it's not Monopoly because we know that they've banned that. So I'll take that uh, off. It's not a board game and it's not a card game. Does that? Oh, wait. Um, the one where you, like, this is so bad that I'm blinking on, like, I, the one where you throw dice. No. Backgammon. What is the answer? <laughs> we need to know. This is, this is something that like, I would play at my family gathering charades. They play charades. Oh, cute. Okay. Okay. I don't think Got I it. knew that. See, I think I learned something card games do every time. Yeah. See, we're all learning every day. Okay. You will for sure know this. What is the name? Jessica, where are you, by the way? <laughs> are you, throw your guesses in here too. Okay. What is the name of the church on the grounds of Sandringham that the family walks to every Christmas morning for service? St. Mary Magdalene. Ding, ding, ding. I was going to say I, ding, ding, ding. Well, also, um, we talked today on the pod about Prince William's time to walk with Apple fitness plus and how he walks right up to it. And that was really cool. So, um, but yeah, I love, I love the Christmas wearing church walk. I hope we get that this year. I know. know, Right. I mean, that's, that's a bucket list thing for me to go to the church walk. I would love it. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. You all will all probably know this answer as well. What time local time, London time is, or Sandringham time, which is the same thing, is the Queen's Christmas Day speech aired in the UK every year? Is it 2 p.m.? It was three. Oh. Did you say three, Roberta? She did. Jessica did. Oh, Jessica did. (laughs) (laughs) I was just vouching. Jessica is correct. It is 3 p.m., every year and it's of course pre-recorded and she enjoys watching it with her family okay we have one more question and then a bonus the queen typically stays at Sandringham long past boxing day on December 26th in years past she stayed until February 6th this day is immensely important to her majesty why it's the day her father passed away correct at Sandringham in 1952 so she stays there to honor him I think it's so interesting because it's like, it must be such an emotional roller coaster because you come from this high of the holidays and everyone gathering together. And then it's like, she kind of goes in, not really into a period of mourning per se, but like, it really is a little bit sad, the, the occasion that she's there until so. And I think it's sweet and sentimental that they actually keep the Christmas decorations up the entire time until she leaves. Yeah. So, okay. Bonus question. The queen gives a food item to her staff every Christmas. What is it? This is I the toughest. I okay. This is I, good bonus. Can I, I, guess? I don't know if I'm right. Or Jessica, do you want to guess? The first thing that came to my mind when I saw this question was uh, fruitcake for some reason. It's, it's like a, a Christmas pudding. Christmas, Christmas pudding. pudding. Ding, ding. So it's like, <laughs> it looks, I'm seen pictures of it. It looks not appetizing at all. I'm not a Christmas pudding person. It looks like rock hard, but Hey, she gives it to them every year. So that's and they love nice. it. And they, and they yeah. take it with a smile. Okay, <laughs> ladies, you are Royal trivia 2.0. We fun. still have more to cover. Clearly. That was <laughs> really great. fun. Yeah. I just so fun. After in your second book. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> this is amazing. I learned Guess so much. Chapter. <laughs> 
Well, listeners, we're excited for you to get your hands on Royal Trivia, your guide to the modern British royal family. And if you pre-order now, I bet you'll get it in time for Christmas and you can spend the holiday quizzing your family and your friends about all things royal. So Rachel and Roberta, thank you so much for being here today. This was really, really fun. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. And you'll definitely get it. Sorry, I just want to say you will get it. I mean, I shouldn't say definitely. There are no definitelys at this not during this COVID, time, right? Not yeah. during the holidays, not during COVID. But they say that December twenty first, the day that it, it launches officially, it will arrive in your mailbox. Yes, so, that's what we've heard. Conf- we've heard is, confirmations of that. So yes, so that's that's, so pre-order to. it now, listeners. As you listen to this and enjoy the holidays with your family and friends, playing royal trivia like we just did. Because let me tell you, that was pretty fun. That was really fun. fun. This was so lovely. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. They are so lovely. I enjoyed that so much. I did too. You know, it was really fun to have other podcasters on the show with us. It's always fun when we get to do that. And I wanted to tell them, I forgot to mention it, but I had planned to bring some kind of fun cocktail to our chat with them. Cause I know they do that on royally obsessed. Right. Um, and then I had such a crazy day today. My cocktail ended up just being some water. So, <laughs> well, that would have been a great idea. And I, <laughs> Jessica, I still can't get the dog on cage off my champagne bottle. And so I have this champagne bottle sitting in my dining room and I can't get the cage off of it. And we need to remedy this, but that would, you know, we should have toasted with some Royal refreshments like they do, but I mean, we love their show. We don't have to tell you listeners probably that they have a great show and to hear that they listen to our show and love our show is, it's just, I mean, that's amazing. So um, that was a great conversation, ladies. Thank you for coming on. And the book is great. So everybody grab a copy. Well, what a good week. Definitely. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a great episode and um, just really excited to, to have this episode out here for everyone. Yeah. And we have two more episodes left in the year we have next week. And then we have our, I'm getting really excited for, first of all, it's episode 50 in two weeks. So that's a milestone in and of itself. It's also our last episode of the year. And we are going to do what we did last year. And we're each going to bring our top 10 favorite Royal moments of the year. So stay tuned. As ever, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. We really do love getting your DMs and emails. And don't forget to follow, rate, and review our podcast. Thank you so much, all 23 countries and counting of you, for tuning into episode 48 of Podcast Royal. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.